0: And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. If you guys have your Bibles this evening, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 10. As we continue our study on the life of Moses, we are now on the eighth plague, and if you're tuning in uh, to this Bible study and you haven't heard of the last few studies concerning Moses as he is now challenging Pharaoh with the Lord and guiding him. You recall Moses when he started off there in Egypt he wanted to liberate the Israelites and in his own strength when he sought to liberate them he ended up murdering an Egyptian guard and because of this he fled out of fear from Egypt and went out into the wilderness for 40 years Moses's life can be categorized in three 40-year periods. For 40 years, he was raised in Egypt thinking that he was a somebody. And then for the next 40 years, he learned in the wilderness that he was a nobody. In the last 40 years of Moses' life, he learned what the Lord can do through a nobody who submitted to him. And so Moses is now returned to Egypt and is challenging Pharaoh as commanded by the Lord to let his people go out into the wilderness to worship him. And Pharaoh began to harden his heart toward the Lord. And he hardened his heart toward the Lord and would reject Moses' request. And then in response, the Lord would harden Pharaoh's heart And so every time Pharaoh was hardening his heart, the Lord brought these plagues upon the Egyptians so that they could know who the Lord their God was. So we've now come to this eighth plague. If you guys remember, the plagues that have already passed us The first plague was the plague of blood when Moses and Aaron went to the river. Aaron stretched out his rod over the river and the river turned into blood and all the Egyptians, all their water was turned into blood. And then again, Moses entreats Pharaoh to let his people go and he says no. So then the second plague was the frogs. The frogs came on the land. So many, and they were everywhere. And then they began to die, and there was this awful stench throughout the land of Egypt. The third plague was of lice, or these gnats. And they were causing all these bites to come upon the Egyptians. The fourth plague, we saw flies, swarms of them, swarms of either flies Or mosquitoes or bugs. I hate bugs, especially the flying ones. And they swarmed the Egyptians. The fifth plague we saw was all the livestock of Egypt perishing, taking away their livelihood. The sixth plague was a plague of boils directly now attacking the Egyptians, their bodies. As they broke out with boils and the seventh plague, God brought hail down like fire from the sky and it struck the Egyptians. Now all these plagues, if you remember, they were plagues that were attacking the very gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And each plague was an opportunity for Pharaoh to repent But Pharaoh would harden his heart. Now there were times, as we've read, that Pharaoh would seemingly repent and he would say, okay, Moses, you can go. And then he would change his mind or he would try to offer Moses some sort of compromise. You see, it's because Pharaoh had false repentance. The title of my study today is False Repentance. And we're going to see this in the account. Beginning with Exodus chapter 10. Let's start with verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials so that I may perform these signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I doubt harshly with the Egyptians, and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. Remember the hardening of Pharaoh's heart? There's two words used whenever Pharaoh's heart was hardened. The first word, when Pharaoh hardened his own heart, was a word that had to deal with stubborn rebellion, his heart was being hardened. And then whenever the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, the word in the Hebrew, literally translated, means to confirm. God would confirm Pharaoh's position of rebellion. So Pharaoh again, his heart is now hardened by the Lord. God is confirming this. And the reason why God was allowing this to happen was that the Israelites would know who the Lord was, how real he was becoming to them. And that for generations to come, as we read in verse two, the little kids, they would celebrate the Passover. They would celebrate how the lord delivered them out of egypt and they would do these certain ceremonies like staying out in in the tabernacles in the in the wilderness they would camp out or they would slaughter a passover lamb and the little kids would ask mom and dad why do we eat the lamb on passover why do we eat bitter herbs on passover how come we don't have get to have the The bread with leaven in it that's baked. Why do we have to have bread that's flat? Why do we have to have tortillas? And the parents would then be able to respond because the Lord delivered us through the Passover. Because we had to only eat bitter herbs and bread that was easily packed, small, that on the fast trip out to the wilderness because we stayed in tents out in the wilderness as the Lord protected us. And it would remind the children how the Lord was with them, guiding them. This is an encouragement to parents, to those looking forward to being parents, that we are to train up and raise our children, reminding them of the ways of the Lord. Perhaps instead of telling them about all the, the Avengers and the the fairy tale, fantasy characters. Maybe we should begin to teach our children about David and Goliath. We should teach our children about Radshak Meshach, and Abednego who denied King Nebuchadnezzar and faced the fiery furnace and the Lord was with them. Rather than telling them stories of Humpty Dumpty sitting on a wall, maybe we should tell our children How Jesus Christ will come on a white horse to redeem the world fully and completely. May we, as God intended for the Israelites, raise up our children this way. Look at verse 3. It says So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. How long will you refuse to humble yourselves before me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses and those of all your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your parents nor your ancestors have ever seen from the day they settled in this land till now. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. See, Jehovah here, Jehovah God, is showing himself to be great among the Egyptians yet again. The Egyptians had this God that they named Set. And he was thought to be the protector of their crops. And he is coming against the God Set. Every plague was attacking the very gods the Egyptians worshipped. God was showing himself that he was greater than the god Kanum, the guardian of the Nile. He was greater than the god Happy, the spirit of the Nile. He was greater than the goddess Heket, the frog goddess of fertility. He was greater than the god Hathor, a cow-like mother goddess. He was greater than the god Imhotep, the god of medicine. He was greater than the god Newt, the sky goddess, and he showed them through all the plagues he was bringing. I'm reminded now as he's telling them the locusts are coming and they're going to fill all their houses. It's going to be like a storm of just army soldiers coming in, invading. It's interesting as I read, read this passage I'm I'm actually reminded of history. There's this speech that Winston Churchill gave to rally public support in a war effort against Nazi Germany because there was an impending doom after they had just conquered France. There's this famous speech by Winston Churchill in which he says, We shall go to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. And we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And that speech it's played out on movies and on so many things nowadays where it's like, wow, that's like a a really motivational speech for the soldiers back then. And it did rally the troops. And in that same way, I'm looking at the Lord is telling Pharaoh, man, these locusts are going to come for you. They're going to fight you right there off the Nile river. They're going to fill your houses. They're going to be everywhere. Your crops are going to be destroyed. Your livelihood gone, taken away. In verse 7, look at this. Pharaoh's officials said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? See, Pharaoh's entire nation at this point has been plagued by seven other plagues already, and now they're being warned about locusts, they can't take it. Pharaoh is so hardened that he no longer even cares about his Egyptian nation. He is now directly defying the Lord himself. It's personal. In verse 8, then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, he said. But tell me who will be going. Moses answered, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, and with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you. If I let you go, along with your women and children, Clearly, you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord. Since that's what you have been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. So now as Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh, it seems almost as if Pharaoh might finally break and say, yes, go. But he's asking them, who are you going to take? And they're saying, we're taking everyone. And He says, you know what? Leave the women behind. Knowing that if the women stay there in Egypt, that eventually the men will have to come back. See, Pharaoh doesn't want to let them go. This is compromise that he's offering to them. You see, sometimes your compromise, it first comes disguised as a freedom. You've heard, well, I have freedom in Christ. I can do this. It's it's not a sin. You see, we first rationalize with ourselves how we are just and justified in lowering our convictions. And then we partake in what is not yet sin but temptation. Now, if the enemy can cause us to take that bait, we soon will, and we'll find ourselves slowly entering into that sin which we so strongly said would never happen to us. You see, this is why we need to have the Lord working in our personal lives. There was... And I am asking the Lord to guide my words in regarding this next matter. But there was a very public man who taught apologetics, who recently passed away, and he had institutes after him, whole Bible colleges, crowds, thousands of of videos books published from him. And he was this giant in Christian theology. I myself followed his, a lot of his teachings. You see, because he was teaching the truth, you had a man with such great mind and such great talent teaching the truth of God, yet in his own heart and in his own life, there was sin that was so hypocritical to his entire message. We see this sometimes, often. We elevate a person higher perhaps than they should be. And then when they fall and we find out of some scandalous thing they've committed, many at times fall away. You see, that's the difference of God working through a person versus God working in a person, in their own personal lives, in their own personal hearts. And as we see leaders, who have taken that route of hypocrisy, and I, I look at them and I, and I wonder, Lord, if if that's what I thought that I wanted. I don't want any of it. I'd rather have you working in my life, in my heart, personally, than have thousands of people following. The truth that I teach, and yet it's not real in my own heart, in my own life. This is true repentance. And this is where Pharaoh was not. This is what he was offering to Moses. Yeah, come. You you, you can leave Egypt, but you're going to have to come back. Look at verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over Egypt so that locusts swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hail. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day And all that night, by morning, the wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They covered all that was left after the hail. Everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees, nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. So these locusts, like these grasshoppers, they just fly through and they completely devour all, everything that was even left after the hail. Now, something as I recognize in reading this, that the Lord used an east wind to bring the locusts. It's kind of interesting, right? If the Lord desired, he could have just made the locusts appear. Similarly, remember the way he brought the lice. Aaron struck struck the dust, and the dust became lice, right? That's like a a miracle at that point. It is a miracle. But with this, He causes an an east wind to come, bringing the locusts. You see, God often works the supernatural through the natural. And it doesn't take away from the miraculous. God often works the supernatural through the natural. Now these locusts have invaded Egypt. And remember the the plagues, they're a mirror of the end times in Revelation chapter 9 verses 1 through 11 why don't you turn your bibles there we're going to look at this portion of prophecy which John is recording in the book of Revelation as he's writing this down keep in mind John is recording a vision that he is having it's a literal vision of something that is to come. Now, regards to Revelation 9, verse 1 through 11, some people have said this to be literal. Some people had said this is a sign of something. My personal take is that this is something literal, some sort of demonic presence that we are going to be reading about. But that's my, again, my personal point of view. I don't want that to get mixed up with what is literally happening, that John is seeing a vision. But let's read. In Revelation 9, verse 1, it says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing Or any tree. But only those men. Who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them. But to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion. When it strikes a man. In those days men will seek death. And will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like the breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon. But in Greek, he has the name Apollyon, which means destroyer. Now, praise the Lord that we as believers do not have to be here on this earth when these things are coming out of the pit of hell, literally. Now, again, these locusts, What's interesting is instead of eating all the herbs like the locusts in Egypt were eating, instead of eating all the green things, they're specifically attacking those who don't have the seal of God on their forehead. There's going to be those who don't take the mark of the beast in the end times, who are are going to receive a seal of God on their forehead. I don't know what, what exactly that is or what that's going to look like, but it's going to prevent them from being being attacked by these locusts. And these locusts are quite horrendous. Being able to hurt men, and that men are going to be in so much pain that they're going to desire to commit suicide, but death is going to flee the earth for five months. I, I can't even imagine if that's going to be like World War Z or some zombie-like people are going to be here during that time as they're trying to commit suicide. Are unable to. Spirits trapped in bodies. Needless to say, there is an end to evil. God is going to have his justification fully and completely enacted. On this world, when we hear people complain, why there's so much evil in the world, yes, it's true. But it's not the end. God is going to justify all the wrongs that have taken place. No one gets away with sin. And those who are the Lord's, those who are children of God, Jesus took upon their punishment. There's justification in this. So we as believers, though we have sinned and though we have, have failed the Lord and brought idols into our life, God gives us forgiveness if we would just accept him, accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, him making the decisions in your life. Putting away our own selfishness, our own pride, and giving Him full and complete reign. This is what God is offering to us tonight. To have Him work in us, in our personal lives, to have true repentance. Back in Exodus, it says, In verse 16, Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. Moses then left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. Not a locust was left anywhere in Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go. You see, at this point, we already recognize that Pharaoh has already hardened his heart. God is again confirming Pharaoh's position. Remember, the Lord confirmed pharaoh's heart which means pharaoh had not truly repented this is false repentance there's another example in the bible of false repentance do you remember king saul how he first when he was king was impatient with the lord he was impatient on waiting for a prophet to come and sacrifice to the lord and He wasn't sure what to do with the army, so he himself sacrificed the animals rather than the priest. And then Samuel came, the prophet, and said, why did you sacrifice? Why didn't you wait for me? And he disobeyed the Lord. And then a second time, when God commands King Saul to completely wipe out the Amalekites, King Saul, instead of wiping them out, this sinful nation, he saves all the best of their livestock and even saves the king alive. And then Samuel again returns to King Saul and he hears the sheep bleeding out. Bah! And and then Samuel the prophet comes to King Saul and says, Saul, What are you doing? And Saul says, oh, prophet of the Lord, I've been sacrificing and worshiping the Lord. And he's like, what do you mean? What is this bleeding of sheep that I hear in my ears? And Samuel starts to call out King Saul and says, you've sinned. You've kept King Agag alive. And then in 1 Samuel 15 it says then Samuel said then Saul said to Samuel I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I have feared the people and obeyed their voices now therefore please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord but Samuel said to Saul I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And then, as the prophet Samuel is walking away, King Saul lunges out and grabs a hold of Samuel's robe, and it rips from him. And then Samuel turns around and looks at King Saul there, and he says, The same way that you just ripped my robe, the Lord is going to rip the kingdom from your hand. Because he didn't have full obedience. And though King Saul is saying, I've sinned, I've transgressed against the commandment of the Lord, even then we know that that repentance was false for King Saul. Because later on we see Saul seeking out a witch in order to seek guidance from the dead. And then at the end of Saul's life, he tragically dies in battle at the end of his own sword. And we're reminded through his life lesson that when you don't deal with sin at the beginning, the same way that God told him to wipe out all the Amalekites, an illustration of sin, the Amalekites came back to completely kill King Saul. When you don't deal with sin, when you leave just a little bit, that little leaven, it leavens the lump of bread. Just a little bit of poison in a glass of tea will poison the whole body. That's what sin is in our life. When there's no true change, when there's no true repentance. You see, repentance at times need to be, needs to be more drastic than the sin itself. You need to, as Jesus said, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. Not literally. He wanted to give us an illustration of the seriousness of sin in our life. If our hands cause us to stumble, cut it off. In that same way, if that person in your life is causing you to sin, that relationship, that job, that phone, that computer, that sport, that music, if it's causing you to sin, cut it off. You say, oh, but that's hard to do because I, I, I need to have this for X, Y, and Z reasons. Cut it off. Just cut it. And allow peace and times of refreshing to come into your life when there's true repentance. Let God do a work in you. Sometimes we think that because God is using us, that because we're being blessed, that he's okay with our sin. Not what the Bible teaches. God desires holiness, a full surrender. You see, when we allow sin to remain in our life, we cheapen God's grace. You see, your salvation cost God what was most precious to Him which was his own son, Jesus. It cost Jesus everything. He died on the cross, was nailed to it, crown of thorns on his head, whipping on his back for your salvation. And what cost him everything, it shouldn't be cheap for us. May we submit our lives unto him. When God calls us, may we say, Lord, here I am, may my selfishness die. And when we find that abiding in Christ, He gives us a new life and a new spirit. That's true repentance. Now, you're going to struggle as a Christian. There's going to be temptation. And that's different than a practicing of a sin, a sin that you continue to practice on. But the struggles, the Lord, that's why we need his grace. So you, do, you, you repent, you turn away, and you keep going after the Lord. You keep fighting, no matter how many times you fall. The Bible talks about the man who falls seven times, but every time rises up, gets back up. May that be our lifestyle. Continuing on in Exodus, verse 21, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and told darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in places where they lived. Now, remember this pattern as every time Moses came to Pharaoh, To warn him. It would go two warnings. About two plagues. And that third plague. Was without warning. So this being the ninth plague. Came without warning. And this darkness that comes upon the land. This is no ordinary darkness. This isn't just. Some sort of eclipse. This is darkness that could be felt. You see, God is light. And when God removes his presence, it can be felt. You see, even the flames of the candles of the Egyptians, it didn't work. But with the Israelites, it said they they had light in the places where they lived. God making a distinction between his children and the children of the world. For three days, It's interesting that darkness covered the face of the earth when Jesus hung on the cross. And for three days, Jesus went into the valley of the earth. Look at verse 24. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. But Moses said, you must allow us to have sacrifices and burn offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, Get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. So here now there's again another compromise that Pharaoh is trying to offer Moses is saying, look, go worship the, go out. You could go into the wilderness, but you have to leave your livestock here, which was the very thing that the Israelites needed to worship the Lord. Satan loves it when he gets half commitments. Satan loves to tell us, yeah, you know what? Go, Go to church, but don't read your Bible. You know, say you're a Christian, but you you don't need to believe all the Ten Commandments. You don't need to believe all the Bible. Satan loves to get that little foothold to bring sin and doubt and compromise in our life. One especially is when it comes to children and, and sports on Sundays. It's like, oh, well, my kid's got to be able to, you know, grow and mature in this world, and you want him to, to be a good soccer player. The Lord first. May we not put this world before eternity. What is truly important. Chapter 11. It says, now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh. And on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that the men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So now God again is speaking to Moses and he's telling him, look, I'm going to bring one more plague. The Lord knew everything that was going to happen. He's being sovereign. We're seeing this line up so much so that the Egyptians are recognizing that Moses was anointed. The Egyptians are now even turning their heart against Pharaoh, their leader, and they're going to be giving the Israelites gold and silver and say, okay, just go, leave. Some of the Egyptians are eventually too actually going to go with the Israelites when they go into the wilderness, which is going to bring up the mixed multitude which is going to bring trouble later on. In verse 4, it says, Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt. All the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant, who is behind the handmill.'" and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue, against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. So the Lord was going to strike now at the heart of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, their firstborn. This does bring to my mind how Jesus was that only begotten son. That the Lord was going to allow to be struck Crucified for our sins. Christ becoming our Passover. Our redemption. Remember, the book of Exodus is a book of redemption. God redeeming us from the world, from sin. In verse 8, And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, And all the people who follow you. After that I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in anger. In great anger. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you. So that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. So we're preparing for now what is going to be the last and final plague, the 10th plague. We're going to next week look at Passover and the original Passover. It's all going to be testimony of Jesus and this is all a foreshadowing of the things to come. Everything that we're reading about here is pointing to Jesus, our Messiah. Jesus becoming that Passover where sin, the judgment of hell, does not have to fall upon you. But Christ takes that. And the same way that we're going to read about how the, the Israelites are going to put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. When we spiritually allow Christ's life to reign in our hearts and in our minds, we are set free. God redeems us. Mean, meaning he has bought us. We belong to him. So may there be true repentance in your life. May God work not only through you, but may he work in you. May you set aside idols, cast them away, and enjoy the relationship of walking with Christ. May you understand the grace of God. May you know the peace of God. May you be content with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your love, Father, give us a heart of repentance. If there's anyone listening tonight and you desire true repentance for God to work in you, just pray this prayer with me. Our dear Jesus, I ask, Father, that you would give me a heart of true repentance. Forgive me of my sins. Change me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Work in my life that you may work through my life. I love you. And I praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One more song. And then we're going to see you guys on Sunday. But continue to, to read your word. Continue to to trust in the Lord. That he's going to be able to deliver you. The same way he's delivered the Israelites out of that world out of bondage from Egypt God can do that in your life God can work the miraculous in your life may we believe it may we sing it may we live it out
1: I was dead in sin, alone and hopeless. A child of wrath I walked, condemned in darkness. Whoa, whoa. But your mercy brought new life, and in your loving kindness raised me up with Christ and made me righteous. What's Oh Lord, you have brought me back with the riches of your amazing grace and relentless love. I made alive forever with your life, forever by your grace, I'm saved, by your grace, I'm saved. Amen, be blessed this week.
0: Love you, we'll see you guys Sunday morning.